0: This morning, this series called um, "Follow to Lead," and the idea of leading ourselves and leading in our family. And you don't have to be a parent to lead in your family. All of us have influence over those we live with. To lead in the place where you find yourself, day after day, whether that's your vocation, your job, your school, your university, your sports group, whatever, and to lead in God's mission. All of that is dependent on how we place ourselves to follow Jesus. And so this series over the next five weeks, I think, will be really key in terms of our discipleship. Because remember, we've been talking about we're being disciples who make new disciples, who make new disciples. That is the call on us in the Christian life. And so we want to step into a kind of life that reflects the mission and purpose of, of Jesus in his world and that is that he's actually redeeming and restoring all of creation back to himself and that he through his indwelling spirit uses us to do that it's 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 the best kind of life you can step into and what i like about it is that it takes the pressure off because no longer do i have to be the one in control i don't have to keep all the balls in the air i don't have to be the one who decides What I do and how I do it because it's actually a life of surrender and it's a life of trust as we follow Jesus. So the invitation of Jesus, in case you haven't seen this, in case you haven't heard it before, the invitation of Jesus to the people he encountered in scripture and to us today is follow me. That's his invitation, follow me. In fact, there's nowhere recorded in Scripture where Jesus says to someone, "This is what you need to do to become a Christian. You've got to do all this stuff. You've got to believe all this stuff, and you've got to say this particular prayer." Or that's not in Scripture. Jesus's invitation is, "Follow me." And it's an invitation that I want us to consider because He's asking that of each of us this morning, regardless of where you are and your history in church or in Christianity or this is the first time you're hearing it, his invitation daily is, follow me. So let's have a look at when he first said this. So this is in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 1. And as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake because they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And then he had gone a little further and he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now I've heard this a few times in my life and I've read this quite a few times, and I've always had this question, why would they? So here's some guys earning a living. Here's some guys who are fishermen. They know how to fish. And this guy comes along and basically just says, follow me, and they do. Why? That doesn't make sense to me. Imagine you in your context. You're in your place of work, your place of study, and someone comes along and says, hey, follow me. So when we dig into the story a little bit, this is not the first time these guys encountered Jesus. So Jesus had started to speak a little bit in in the area where they lived, and there were starting to be some questions about him. Could this guy be the Messiah? Could this guy be the one we've been waiting for? He's starting to say a few things that are making sense and, and there was people who were just starting to have an interest in who Jesus was. But here's these guys, we don't know how old they are, but potentially young men. I always laugh a little bit that when we often see paintings and pictures of Jesus and the disciples, they're, they're middle-aged men. That's probably unlikely. Um, you know, particularly John, you know, the disciple John, he, he wrote... His letter, you know, either 80 or 90 AD. So that, that's at least, you know, 50, 60 years after Jesus lived. So he would have been pretty young when he was hanging out with Jesus. Anyway, so these guys grew up in the in a Jewish home in a Jewish area, and so part of their training as young men that they had to um, they had to learn the scriptures. They had to get to a point by the time they were about 12 or 13 years old where they were then tested on their knowledge of the Torah, the first five books of, that are in our Bible. And generally they were expected to know them off by heart and then to be able to explain what it meant. 12, 13 years old. Five books of the Bible off by heart and explain what it meant. And so when they were tested on that, If they did well and they showed promise, potentially one of the rabbis, one of the teachers of the time would say, I'm going to take you under my wing, you're going to follow me and you're going to learn the things that I already know and I'm going to teach them to you, you're going to be my apprentice and that was highly valued. So these guys, we know that because they're fishermen, that didn't happen for them, they were not accepted by the local rabbi or one of the visiting rabbis to become the apprentice. So they were fishermen, probably because their family were in the business of fishing. And so when Jesus comes along, years later, and there started to be this talk about who Jesus is, or potentially could be, and his call is follow me, I reckon that's why they immediately left their things and followed him because they were getting a chance that they missed out on when they were 12 or 13. They were getting a chance potentially to step into a relationship with a key rabbi, a key teacher, who just could be this Messiah that we've been waiting for. So I want to show you the same passage out of the Amplified Version. Look at this. As Jesus was walking by the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon Peter and Simon's brother Andrew casting a net in the sea for they were fishermen and jesus said to them follow me as my disciples accepting me as your master and teacher and walking the same path of life that i walk that's what they were responding to in the call to follow me accepting jesus becoming a disciple accepting him as their master and teacher and walking the same path of life that jesus was walking and i will make you fishers of men Immediately they left their nets and followed him, becoming his disciples. Good, I've got it all on the screen. Um, Becoming his disciples, believing and trusting in him and following his example. That's what it means to follow Jesus, believing and trusting in him and following his example. So going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were also in the boat, mending and cleaning the nets. And immediately Jesus called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired workers and went away to follow him, becoming his disciples, believing and trusting in him and following his example. Many years ago when I was slimmer, and fitter and teaching PE. Um, There was one year where I I don't know what happened with the timetable that I was given, but there was a gap and I I wasn't teaching a full load. So in their wisdom at the school, they said, well, I know you're a high school teacher, but we're going to send you for a couple of hours a week down to kindergarten and you can teach the kindergarten kids this year some gross motor skills as part of their physical development. That that was scary. Like, give me a a teenager any day rather than this little kid. So I would go and take these kindergarten classes, and one of the teachers, I said, I don't know what to do with little kids, and the teacher said to me, look, just play a couple of games that help them do some of just the big movements, you know, teaching them to skip and to hop and to balance and things like that. And so I thought, okay, well, the games that make sense would be Simon Says... So here I am demonstrating something, Simon Says, and they're all doing it. And so I thought that would make sense. So I started playing Simon Says with these kids. But this is what I noticed. So I might say Simon Says put both hands in the air and all the kids put both hands in the air. But you know as the game goes with Simon Says, the idea is to actually catch them out and eliminate them because you want to have a winner. (laughs) right? So I found I was either asking them to do things that I knew would be difficult so I could eliminate them Or you do the trick and you say something quickly without saying Simon says at the beginning and that means they're out. And so I got to the point where instead of actually teaching them to do these things, I was just trying to wipe them out. I was trying to eliminate them. (laughs) And I thought that's probably not helpful. But the other thing I noticed was they were doing that to one another. So all of a sudden, instead of being concentrating on learning how to do these things, they were keeping an eye on one another and wanted to point out when someone else was at fault and wanted to tell me when someone else was at fault. And when someone was at fault, they quickly tried to change what they were doing so they wouldn't be out, which prompted them to actually be dishonest. And I found that became a very funny dynamic. Here I am trying to teach them some things that would be good for them, but what they're learning is to be dishonest and to dob on one another. I don't know if you've been in a church community where it feels like that. (laughs) Maybe you have. So the game that became the better game was follow the leader. And so basically, I would walk around school with a line of little kids behind me doing all sorts of things and they did them. But when they didn't get it right, it didn't matter. They just kept going and they weren't dobbing on one another and then I found they were actually encouraging one another to do the things that that I was modelling at the front of the line. I don't know how that would have looked actually walking around all over the school. I was glad I only had to do it for one year. But there was something about follow the leader that just resonated. There was something that these kids going, I can do this. But even if I don't quite get it right, it doesn't matter because I just keep following. And the idea that they had to do in their following of the leader was their eyes had to be fixed on the leader. Because when you took your eyes off the one you were following, you weren't sure what you had to be doing. Simple thing, but boy, it was profound. So when we come to following Jesus, I like to think now through that experience that it's just more like follow the leader. It's not Simon Says, it's not Jesus up there with a bunch of rules and regulations saying do this, do this, do this and you feel bad when you, when you get it wrong or you have people in your world who are pointing out that you're getting it wrong. There's something about just following the leader and our eyes are fixed on Jesus and we get it wrong, I get it wrong, you'll get it wrong but in his grace he's just like come on keep going. I love reading you know we've mentioned Simon Peter I love that as we read his story particularly in the gospel of John that the 21st chapter of John nearly seems like it's added on at the end of chapter 20 the gospel of John looks like it's finished and then there's chapter 21 and that's the reinstatement of Peter where he had just said to Jesus I would die for you And then three nobodies ask him, aren't you associated with Jesus? And he completely denies it, completely abandons Jesus. And then chapter 21, we see Jesus saying, hey, I know you've just done that, but hey, follow me. And the call to follow me is again in there in chapter 21 of John. Check it out. So parallel to the invitation that Jesus has to you and I to follow me is a further invitation that we are to invite others to follow him. We are to invite others to follow Jesus. We know this is the Great Commission. Matthew records it like this. This is Jesus' words to his disciples. He says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. In another version, go and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me, and obey my words. Help them learn about me, believe in me, and obey my words. Baptizing them and teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Or another translation, go and make followers, he says. So our call is not just to follow ourselves, Our call is to follow so that we can encourage others to follow. Our call is to follow so we can invite others to follow because by following Jesus, we discover that this makes sense in life. It works. He actually knows what it's about. So that's where the trust comes in. Can I really trust Jesus that what he would lead me into is the best thing for me? Can I trust him? The Christian life is not just believing some things about Jesus. The Christian life is to become more like Jesus in our character and our nature and our actions and our responses and leading others into that leading others into a kind of life that works, a kind of life that has purpose and meaning, a kind of life where there's peace and joy despite the circumstances around us. A kind of life where it's not based on our feelings and our emotions to guide our decisions, but it's based on the truth of who Jesus is. This is foundational for us who are disciples, who make disciples. Now we follow all kinds of things we follow people and ideas and causes we follow sports teams and artists we follow trends and we follow markets we follow some of these things deliberately or sometimes just by default you know there's certain things you might be interested in just because that's what was modeled to you and your family Sometimes we change the things we follow, like changing sports teams, because one of them is doing better than the one you normally follow. Don't know who would do that. My lovely wife. <laughs> and then we get into this social media age, where you know, the following that people have and actually seek after on platforms like Instagram and Twitter and things like that. Now I'm not on Instagram and Twitter, so I had a bit of a look at what that looks like. Do you know, according to a website that I looked at, Brandwatch.com? I looked at that earlier in the week for for an updated figure that the most followed person in the world on Instagram. Any guesses? Any guesses? The most followed person on Instagram in the world. It's not Donald Trump. No. Soccer player? Cristiano Ronaldo. Most followed person. 238 million people follow him on Instagram. 238 million people. And I think, so I go, well, what, what are they getting from following him? What do they see? What does he display on Instagram? And basically, it's pictures of him playing soccer. It's um, pictures of his family and him experiencing the good things in life. Because money would not be an object for him. So he probably has whatever he desires to have. And maybe there's something in that that people go, oh, geez, that would be good. Imagine being like him. On Twitter, though, the most followed person in the world on Twitter not as many followers, 122 million followers this person has. Any guesses? Yes, Jace. Barack Obama. Barack Obama, you've seen the slides. Well done. <laughs> Barack Obama. So he just puts it, uh, um, this is how Twitter works, I think, he just puts some comments or some thoughts out and people are seeing what he's thinking about things. 122 million people are being influenced by his thoughts about things that are happening. It's interesting. What do we actually achieve by following these people? What, what does it do for us? Are we being influenced by what they're saying and doing and showing? Are we trying to live vicariously through them and go, man, I wish my life was like that? What do, what do we get out of it? So then I have to ask that question of following Jesus. Why do we follow Jesus? What does it mean for us today to follow Jesus? Now, if you're thinking that you don't actually need to follow anyone in life, or, or you not only don't need to, but you don't follow anyone, can I challenge that? In fact, I would say I have not met a person in my life who is just paving their own way in life and just doing their own thing in a completely new and fresh way. I've never met anyone like that. Because we all follow someone else's response to those big questions in life. Those questions like, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose? Why am I here? Where do I find security and joy and peace and pleasure? because all of us have those questions as human beings and all of us are following someone else's responses to where do we where do we search for those things so our desire at coast community church is that we would actually come to the author of life the person who knows you best what is best for you knows the kind of flourishing life that that serves you best and allows you to step into that. That's Jesus. But there's a narrative that I think that exists in our culture, particularly in the Western world, that following Jesus is restrictive. It's boring. You've got to conform. You've got to lose your intellect. You've, you've got to just become like, you know, a, a lemming that just follows the crowd. Remember that game Lemmings back in the day when computers were pretty new and you had to make them all fall off the cliff? Eh, that was a good one. Some of you younger people are going, what? What are you talking about? See, when we read the story of Scripture, when we read God's story with people, what we see right back in the beginning is that God created everything and it was good. And in the goodness of his creation, he provided everything that was needed for human beings. So all our natural desires, our natural cravings, our natural inclinations were met. So things like clean air and food and water and companionship and purpose and meaning, all those things were provided by God. And the story goes on to say that human beings then decided, well, hang on, we want to define some of that stuff for ourselves. And so... The result of that meant separation from God. And essentially, the story goes that humans wanted to get, sorry, they wanted to look to the created things for purpose and meaning rather than the creator. And it caused a problem. So let's keep all that in mind as we look at what Jesus said about this. So John's Gospel Great, great book of the Bible to read just to get a picture of who Jesus is and how he reveals the kind of life that we want to live in relation to God. And so in John chapter 6, there's a story where Jesus just fed 5,000 plus with a a miracle feed. There was a little bit of bread, a little bit of fish. 5,000 men plus women and children had this feed. And then they started following him around after that. And uh, after that big feed they wanted more but Jesus didn't give them what they're asking for and so he encouraged them to read the signs of what's really going on here and so they asked for a sign just like God provided a sign when the Israelites were in the wilderness where God provided food from heaven it was called manna in the Bible and the word manna translated basically means what is it There's this stuff that was on the ground every morning that they could eat. It was a bit like wafer and honey and it was sweet and it was filling and it would just appear every morning. God provided for them for 40 years. And so they asked for that and Jesus didn't give it to them, but he set them up for something. Check this out in John chapter 6. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see and believe you? whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, in this statement, Jesus communicated to the crowds that he himself is God's provision to us. It's not the things of the world, it's the person. So what we're seeing in this is, this is really significant. When Jesus is saying, when we choose to follow him, when we become his disciple, his apprentice, we can look to him to satisfy our deepest needs and longings. In fact, what we experience in relationship with him far outweighs anything this world can offer. But we don't know that until we step into that. And you can't tell someone else about that until you've experienced that yourself. See, as part of God's plan to restore all of creation back to its original goodness, Jesus comes to satisfy our desires that this world cannot now, our deepest craving is not for something, it's actually for someone. That's significant. Most of us, whether we would call ourselves Christian or not, pursue the things in life to satisfy us. But they never will. Look at what he said. The bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. What kind of life does he want to give? John records this a little bit later in chapter 10. You know, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Another translation, I've come that they could have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So here's where it becomes real as we, as we draw this to a close. Here's where it becomes real. My observation, my life experience, maybe yours as well, is that many self professing Christians believe that to follow Jesus means letting go of the things in this world that we actually love. In order to embrace something that doesn't seem that appealing. Because it often just seems like it's this thing at the end of the life. If I could just say I'm a follower of Jesus. I'll get to go to heaven when I die and I'm okay with that. So I'm willing to to go through the motions so I've got my insurance at the end. But I think we end up sort of caught in the middle. There's this tension of trying to follow Jesus but really desiring, if we're honest, the pleasures and experiences and approval of others and the possessions of this world. Deep down, I think we're afraid if we let go of the things of this world, we will miss out on satisfaction. So we hang on, we try to hang on to both. Jesus talks about this really clearly a number of times in Scripture. And as a result of that, I reckon a lot of self-professing Christians, and this has been a big part of my experience, a lot of self-professing Christians look no different to anyone else in the way we live life. We claim to follow Jesus, but the fruit of our life shows that we are just as materialistic and selfish and sensual as everyone else around us. So how can we invite people into following Jesus if what they're seeing looks the same as what they're already doing? So here's where it becomes a little bit harder. Look at what Jesus says at this point. As he was saying all this to them about following him, If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, that is, set aside selfish interests, and take up his cross daily, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come. And follow me, believing in me, conforming to my example and living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. Wow, that's an invitation. For whoever wishes to save his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. But whoever loses his life in this world for my sake, he is the one who will save it from the consequences of sin and separation from God. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, things like wealth and fame and success, and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed here and now of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Heavenly Father and of the holy angels." Man, that's confronting. This is more than just mental assent to some things about Jesus. This is a decision to give your life to follow the one who knows what life is truly about. I like how in another translation, look how he says it in Luke's Gospel. Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether it's plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. He's not saying you can't as in you're not allowed. He's just saying you can't because it won't work. You can't serve two masters. That's one thing Jesus says clearly. And then he says you can't serve both God and money. And the word he uses in that money is the word mammon, which basically means anything that will give you security and worth and value. And often we think that's money and possessions. See, the fruit and evidence of learning from Jesus or following Jesus is a transformed life. A follower of Jesus is transformed by the indwelling Holy Spirit to become more like the person of Jesus. In practical terms, that means that I would live my life, you would live your life, organising it and doing everything in your life to live as if Jesus was living your life right now. What would Jesus do in this situation? How would he respond? What would he say? That's the type of thing we need to surrender to. When Jesus talks about this further, and he talks about it heaps, he says a disciple is not above his teacher or a bond servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher. If we just had a vision, a picture of, I just want to be more like the person of Jesus, that would be enough to guide and direct what life looks like. Another translation, the point is, be careful who you follow as your teacher because you become like those you follow. You do the things that those you're following, who you are following do. You think that way. So i'm going to finish with this how do i know if i'm truly following jesus i've just got five questions i'm going to leave them up for a little bit so you might want to get them down how do i know if i'm truly following jesus do i do everything in life with jesus do i actually invite him into what i'm doing do i rely on him for his wisdom for his discernment for his direction Am I engaging with his written word because that's probably the main way that he can speak to me? Am I seeking to align myself with the mission of Jesus, the mission of bringing all of humanity back into relationship with himself? In that space, do I make disciples by intentionally doing life with people who do not yet know Jesus? Am I modelling to people around me what it looks like to live a life with jesus am i making disciples do i live in the reality of the kingdom of god and live out its purposes and values in other words do i live as though everything jesus has said is actually true am i engaging with his word to find out what he says is true And do I seek to actually become like the one I'm following? Do I seek to become like Jesus? Or am I content to say, I believe some things about him and because I believe those, I think I'm going to be okay when I die? That's not the picture that scripture paints of what it means to follow Jesus. Am I actually seeking to become more like him? And... Just like when I was doing follow the leader with all the kids, you have to be in proximity to the one you're following to become like them. You have to be in proximity to the one you're following to see and hear what they're doing and saying. So how is your commitment to following Jesus? Have you made a commitment to follow Jesus? Let me pray for us. So Father God, I thank you that first and foremost, you initiate a relationship with yourself. You invite us into relationship. Jesus, it's your invitation that provides us a way into relationship with you. And so when that's the case for us, I pray you'd give each of us, those listening this morning, those here at Bensville, those at Tumby, those at home, I pray that you would give us the courage to not only accept that invitation, but to step into it in a way that makes a difference in how we live so that we can be disciples who make disciples and bring others into relationship with yourself. Jesus, I thank you that you you show us the way to live, and I thank you that you choose to partner with us as we live with you. You don't leave us on our own. You actually are with us through your Spirit. So for those who are even thinking right now, what could this look like for me to accept that invitation? What could this look like for me to change how I live day to day and become a follower of Jesus, trusting him, surrendering to him. I pray that your spirit would be at work right now and that we would see people even at this moment choose to accept that invitation and be a follower of Jesus. And we thank you for that. Amen.